Welcome, welcome to Sunday at A Vision for You, and we are ready to present the special edition today. However, just in case you haven't heard, A Vision for You would like you to know and be especially invited to Convention 2017. The Power of the Big Book Convention is happening in 90 days. This spectacular convention will be in the neighborhood, a veritable visible fest of the miracles that abound in OA. A Vision for You extends the Power of the Big Book Convention 2017 weekend. It's a weekend filled with inspiration, education, and motivation. In Mass, Alive, and On Fire, September 15th through the 20, I'm sorry, the 15th through the 17th, 2017. It'll be at the Marriott Hotel and Convention Center located in northern New Jersey at the Liberty International Airport Compound. There's barely enough time to pack. Have you registered? Have you gotten your hotel reservations? Well, you're invited today to do it. Just see the further details today on our website at www.avisionforyou.info. And help us spread the word. There's a flyer on that website that you can print out that's all about convention. Join us. Have everyone join us. Now let's turn to what we came here for, too which is to enjoy the Sunday Special Edition. My name is Melanie C., and your host for this meeting. Today is Sunday, June 18th, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, June 16th, 2017's weekday recorded Big Book study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 10,048, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time recorded meeting is 10,050-10050. Today, A Vision for You presents Going to Any Length, a personal story. Going to any length, this is a term that is often heard in these rooms. It can conjure up all kinds of images and ideas it could have as many different meanings as we have members in OA, quite frankly. What might be a good definition for one person and the way they do it might be something entirely different for another. But any way you slice it, going to any length unquestionably makes an impact on recovery, the way it's described. Today, we are privileged to hear a personal story of what going to any length was like for our guest speaker. We will hear what it was like in those trenches, what happened to bring about a spark, and what it is like now as she practices going to any length. So if you would, please help me welcome to the line this morning, Lynn D. Lynn D., welcome to the line this morning. You want to press star one? Yes, this is Lynn D. from Colorado. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, I'm going to set my timer. Thank you so much, Melanie. Well, I have to say I am a little nervous. I've never done this before, but I'm imagining all of you sitting in your homes with your phones on listening for my story. And I hope it it can help one of you perhaps be encouraged. Um, We'll just see how it goes here. But I'm Lynn D. I, I... 
believe that I wasn't a compulsive overeater when I was a child. I had a, you know, the usual childhood. <clears throat> had a lot of siblings. Um, you know, had every all my needs met. Um, pretty much, I uh, had a, a pretty toxic family though. And um, I don't remember ever overeating. I remember being a really picky eater. But uh, when I turned 16 years old, I became really depressed. I was isolating, very lonely, even when I was with friends. And I just turned to food. It was the strangest thing. I, I would not eat at school all day, you know. I had probably all these emotions buried deep within me. And um, I came home from school on that school bus, and I just attacked the kitchen. <clears throat> My mother, over the years, had kept a really tight ring on our kitchen. So I was never overweight. Um, I just ate what mom said I could eat, you know. Uh, but when I became 16, I just, and maybe she just let go of the control of it more, I just really got into the food. And, you know, it's in the beginning, it felt very comforting, so very comforting to come from that harsh world outside and to just hit the food. I don't really remember what I ate. It didn't really matter too much. I just was starving. And then I just ate until I felt comfortable, you know, like um, uh, like it was a comforting friend while I watched TV. It didn't seem too bad of an idea, but I think after a while, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, better slow down here a little bit, you know, this probably isn't the best. Um, and then I just didn't think about it anymore. And I remember going back to school, you know, I had some friends, um, and I bragged to them. I said, you know, I can eat whatever the heck I want, and I can stay 130 pounds. And they said to me, they laughed, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. And I was shocked when they said that. I thought I had, I don't know, special powers, you know. I, I had never really been fat. I didn't think it could happen to me. So, you know, in Bill's story, it talks about how he, he had ominous warning uh, when he was in World War One, And... I think that was an ominous warning from my friends. Um, but guess what? I was like Bill. I didn't pay it any attention. So I just kept on. Uh, so then the next big event, um, turning point in my life, was when I got my first adult job. I was not equipped to go emotionally into the adult business world. I was a new high school graduate, and boom, I got this job that was um, a very good job, a uh, good salary. It was a long drive from my home. So here I am, this um, depressed teenager. I was 17, got my first car, first time really driving, driving to this job where there were all these adult women who were married with kids. They hated their job, most of them, um, and it was just more than I could handle. So what I did is I just really focused on my work. I was a really good worker, but I had no interactions with them. I think um, that they talked about me, you know, who wouldn't. Um, but what I did, I, I couldn't, like, eat with them. I was so nervous. 
and I would go out on my lunch hour and, and just kind of explore the the city and, and, and stuff myself with food. It was fun. Hey, I could do it. My mom wasn't saying you can't go eat. Um, so that part of it was fun. Come back to work, and I'd be just looking at that clock. When is it? Five o'clock. So it, it really wasn't very fun. Um, uh, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to go to that department store. They have a huge candy section. Now, I'm going to just get myself some candy. And I did. And on that long drive home, I would eat a pound of chocolate um, and just unwind, just kind of like I did when I was 16 from school. So I was getting very lonely, depressed, felt like going to work was torturous, but yet then I did the work really well. Um, then on the weekends, I would just, you know, I had a couple of friends. I had one friend that was, I guess you could consider somewhat of a binge buddy. We would go to different restaurants. I mean, we'd go to movies, but what do you do at movies? You, you know, you stuff your face. Um, did that sort of stuff. And um, I can remember, too, driving home from work and um, hitting the fast food. And then when I got home, my mom had made a meal. So then I would eat that, too, uh, just feeling really sick. Well, I... I have to say my body has a great metabolism, but I did put on weight, um, maybe 10 pounds or so. So um, I wasn't very active, but I was young. And um, I also discovered, um, how about smoking? Smoking will make me lose weight. I mean, that's what it, back in those days, a lot of women smoked to lose weight. That's what we said. Um, and my friend, my binge buddy, she smoked too. So here we were smoking um, and getting fatter and binging and um, just not really very happy. And um, I remember getting another ominous warning during this period. My family um, would have family picnics and all my cousins would be there. I had a uh, a cousin around my age, and I overheard him say, he didn't say it directly to me, but he said, I've never seen a girl eat that much. And I was just shocked. I thought, number one, it really wasn't that much I was eating. Um, but it was shocking. Uh, did I heed that on this morning? No, I didn't. I thought he had the problem. I thought he was mean. And I didn't think that it was true. Uh, I, I guess a lot of times when I would eat, I would try to, you know, eat a lot, take a break, eat another bunch, take a break. So for me, I could rationalize that as not eating much. Um, I started really lying to myself, being very dishonest with myself. So the feedback I was getting from other people, I just totally disregarded it. Um, didn't think they knew what they were talking about. So I was really getting into that dishonesty. Um, then the next uh, turning point in my life <clears throat> was when I met my husband. Um, blind date. We didn't like each other at first. Uh, but we weren't doing anything, so we continued dating. He ended up to be a, a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, we got married. But when we fell in love, both of us fell in love, um, I 
stopped eating, I, I thought, ah, I have got to look good here. <laughs> and um, I, I must have had some manipulation in the back of my head of, I want this man. And um, so I did my best to, to eat as little as I could. I remember him and I would go out to dinner and I would eat meals then, but um, I, I didn't a lot, so I got thin. I looked really good. Um, when I got married, uh, I, we didn't date that long, maybe a year, and then we got married. I was at a normal weight. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, I was at a normal weight and then got married. Um, things were pretty good. Um, I got pregnant within the first year uh, by design, and I ate a lot. So then I was work, still working at this job I didn't like. Um, I was pregnant, and my husband worked nights. I was lonely, so I would just really eat. And after a doctor's appointment, like a lot of women probably, but especially ones that are compulsive overeaters, I would reward myself from going to that doctor, hopping on that darn scale, and then after he told me, you're gaining too much weight, I would go to the Dairy Queen. And I just thought that's what, I, again, I totally disregarded what this medical professional was telling me. Um, I'm pregnant, come on. I don't eat that much. And again, I ate, you know, stuff throughout the day. So I was, you know, at that point, I was probably eating quite a bit. Um, had, a, had a wonderful baby. Again, I, was, um, I wasn't working for a spell, and I got really lonely. We had a, a little house out in the country. I isolated. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess I, I didn't take the effort to go meet people. I was in the country, so I got lonely. I got depressed, even though I had this wonderful baby, and I ate. Uh, second pregnancy gained more weight was home with two babies, two wonderful little babies, but I was very depressed and lonely, turned to food. Um, and, then, um, and then once I um, had these babies, I uh, was very, pretty fat. I don't know exactly how much I weighed then, but I was um, pretty heavy. And there was a big fad that came around and... Um, it was called aerobics back in the 80s. Um, and it came way out in the country where I live. And I went there, and I absolutely loved it. So I think I really um, handled that whole thing like aerobics is going to save me. I, am, I enjoy it. It's so much fun. I can meet people there. I became friends with people. I never miss. I... Um, started losing weight, and, and here was a really great thing that happened for me is I started feeling better about myself, and I thought, you know, I am going to, I didn't use the word diet, but I am going to stop eating sugar, and I'm going to start eating healthy, uh, and I did. I didn't eat sugar for two years. Now, I had never done that, never in my life. But I was able to do that then. I was in my 20s. I, um, 
I did aerobics, and I think I did uh, like a jogging, walking thing in the morning. So the weight, again, I had this great metabolism. The weight just melted off of me. Everybody noticed, you know, when you lose weight, people give you all kinds of attention. And they all asked me how I did it. And so it, was, it made me feel great. Um, this, you know, but it lasted for two years. And um, I'm going to reference um, the big book here, page five. Let's see. Let me have to find it. Um, so anyway, um, then it came around Christmas time, and uh, we always had these uh, cookie bakes where our family, all the women in our family would get together, and we would um, bake cookies, all different kinds of cookies, and then share them and take them home. Well, I was deep in the making of these cookies. My sister was with me, and I remember saying to her and picking up this oatmeal raisin cookie, and I said to her, this is a healthy one. <laughs> and I ate it, and I, I never stopped eating sugar until I came to OA years later. And on page five of Bill's story, it says, there had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. It said someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near, near being just that. Well, nobody pushed the cookie my way. I made the decision to have it. Um, so where was my high resolve with no sugar? Uh, it was got just gone for some reason that it's healthy. So that, that's how the disease works in my mind. And um, so then I was back to my, what I, the only real method I used to stay at a, a somewhat healthy weight was to, you know, have my binge and then go for a period where I don't eat very much. It wasn't really starving, but it was not eating very much and then have a good binge, and then you do that again. So I went back to that method um, and that and doing this aerobics. Now, when I forgot to mention that when I got married, I, I stopped smoking um, so that I, because I knew I would get pregnant. I didn't want that. And you know what? I did realize that smoking wasn't helping me lose weight. But this aerobic thing, <laughs> excuse me, did help me keep my weight down to normal. I, you know, over the years, I've tried to find bat pictures of myself, and there are some. There is a period I will tell you about soon here uh, where I really hit my bottom and I get heavy. Uh, but before that, there really aren't any. Um, so then, you know, okay, I wonder how long I would have stayed with that had the aerobics classes not disbanded. Uh, some of the people that taught, they moved. Um, you know, they, so there were no more um, aerobic classics. So what am I going to do now? Uh, I tried traveling to other cities. Uh, it just didn't work. I, it was too much of an effort to drive there. Um, and I didn't know those people, you know. So anyway, then the next, the next thing, turning point for me, there was some family issues going on. Um, all through my family, so I ended up going to therapy. Therapy was very intense, um, you know, like it's supposed to be. And 
I just had so much, so many intense emotions that what I did was cope with it with food. Um, I would tell my husband, I would come home from therapy and I would say, where are the M&Ms? I have got to have some M&Ms. I just need to settle down from this therapy stuff. And I figured it would last a couple weeks, you know, and then I would just not eat as much and I'd get that, you know, I'd just stay the same weight. Well, that did not happen. We were, my whole family ended up being in therapy, my kids, my husband, and, um, and it lasted for about three years. So it took probably about a year and a half for me to really start getting fat. But I did. I, I got a lot of self-knowledge in, in therapy. Uh, it wasn't self-knowledge that I was a compulsive overeater. It was self-knowledge that my personality was causing a lot of trouble in my family. I was um, being very selfish, and I didn't know how to stop it. Um, They didn't really teach me how to stop it in therapy, and they certainly didn't say anything about having a higher power. So these emotions would build up, and I just turned to food. And I know one time my husband, um, in a therapy, a marriage therapy um, session, said that he thought I was fat. And the therapist had to say, did you hear him? (laughs) And, um, you know, that may sound cruel, but it really wasn't. They were trying to wake me up and say, hey, what are you doing here? Things are really changing and they're going in a bad way. But my husband was afraid to say that, just just between him and I. He needed a therapist there uh, to kind of mellow me out. And I just said, I know, but what can I do about it? I don't know. Um, at that point, I don't think I, I could, I realized that I wasn't able to do that not eating stuff. I was really able to do the eating thing, but not the not eating thing. So my weight started going up. And I, it went up to 195 pounds. Uh, I had never been that heavy except when pregnant, and uh, that was very frightening to me. Um, I was starting to get really scared by it. So then therapy was over. I just realized I was kind of spinning my wheels and paying a lot of money to learn what I already knew about myself, and I just wasn't getting better. I would do things like um, say to my husband, how do, you, how do you stay so darn normal? And he would say, I'm just nice to people. And I, I just let things happen the way they happen. And I thought, wow, I, I'll, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do what he does. I felt like I wanted to pull my hair out after one day. I wasn't able to do it. I just was very high-strung and wasn't able to do it. So anyway, the year between no therapy and where I found OA was pretty miserable. 
And that's when I, I was waddling around at 195 pounds and wasn't very nice to people So in my family. So anyway, in January of 1994, I can remember being at home <clears throat> by myself. I must have been sick, and it was like below zero weather. And kids were at school, husband was at work. And so I grabbed this wonderful bag of M&Ms and I started eating it. And it began with the feeling of, ah, it's me and my food. You know, that a bit of a thrill. But as I was eating it, the thrill left. I started feeling too full. And I said, okay, got to stop this. I could not stop my darn hand from reaching in the bag. It kept reaching and reaching and reaching. I was feeling miserable. I started crying. And I think this is the very first time this happened that I'm aware of. And I thought, something is really wrong here. So anyway, what I mean, that moment for me is very well explained on page eight in Bill's story. It says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. That is how I felt with my hand going in that bag. I knew that I couldn't stop it, that the food, the sugar especially, was my master. Um, Down further on that page, it says, how dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. So from that really empty place, Uh, where the food was my master, where I knew I couldn't even um, follow what my husband was doing to be nice. I was really lost. It was about two months after that. I had a a friend of mine from therapy that was my Abby Thatcher. Um, And like it says in Bill's story, she did no ranting. She just explained her experience being in the grocery store and how the food called out to her and how she made it out of the store without getting her binge food. And she had my attention. She said that she went to OA. Now, I've never seen this friend as stable as she was, as good as what she was then. So she was She said, why don't you go to OA? And she even told me what meeting to go to. And here's the real miracle. I just went to the meeting. So I think with that... Lindy, would you press star one? We lost you. Lindy, would you press star one? We lost you.
Lindy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's just wait a moment here until we can see if we can find Lynn. Press star one, please. Let's see if she comes back on. Melanie? Hi, hello. We lost you for a moment. Yeah, I just totally disconnected. Okay, well. well the well, the last thing that I remember hearing was that you were told by your friend about the specific meeting to go to, and you were just continuing from there. So that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, very yeah, you're welcome. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, let's see if I, oh, I don't have a timer. You're fine. You're fine. Just keep going, and okay. we got you covered. Yeah. Okay, great. Just, yeah. All right. Um, so I came to OA, and probably like a lot of people, when I came to OA, um, I was just amazed that there was an OA. I didn't know that it had existed. I um, went to my very first meeting. I remember it distinctly walking uh, to the place and following another person that was going there, and she had a book. I didn't have a book. Um, so it was very scary, and... Um, Anyway, um, got there. I felt like I was home. I I knew that this, I wasn't able to diet anymore. I knew that food was my master. I knew I needed something big. I, I just, it just wasn't a food plan I was looking for. And at that very imperfect first OA meeting I went to, I did get it that there were 12 steps that they were pretty um, intense, you know, like there was a lot to them, I guess is a better way. And that this felt like just what I needed, and it was free. I was just overjoyed with that. I remember seeing a woman at that first meeting who was thin, who was young, who was vibrant. At the end of the meeting, I went over to her and tried to get her phone number because they, they said, call people, and they thought, absolutely, I want their numbers, you know. Um, so she, I think, just wanted to get out of that room. She wasn't able to help me. And um, so I, was, I went to every meeting I could. I did find a sponsor within my first three weeks of being in OA. But I tell you, I was very confused. <laughs> Excuse me. Very confused. Um, what was abstinence? Um, it was very confusing to me, and I asked a lot of people, and I got a lot of different answers. Um, I didn't, I wish so much that I could have gotten a clear explanation of what food ingredients are you not able to eat? Um, because I went on about a three-month journey to discover what was abstinent and what wasn't. Um, it would have been quite easy if it has sugar in it. It's a binge food. Um, instead of having to test it all, um, like I, I thought, I can eat lime sherbet because I don't like it, and it's not a bench food for me. Well, you know, so, somehow I got some sanity with it. I thought, what am I doing? Why am I eating? This makes no sense. Just don't eat it. Um, but, it, you know, it, that would have been so much more helpful if someone had said, how about the binge ingredients in the foods? That, that will be your guide. You don't have to test every food to see. 
So um, anyway, I also, when I came to OA, had major issues with the God of my childhood. It was a pretty traumatic um, religion for me, it was. And you know what? It just didn't matter because I was in so much pain from that compulsive binging that I would have done just about anything. Um, I, I just figured it would work out. So I'm going to read again on page 46, a couple paragraphs here, which I just love so much. It says, we found, this is in We Agnostics, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect the contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe under lying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other certain steps, simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. I, I think I, I really felt that in the rooms of OA. And I was willing, I was willing to um, believe in whatever power. I heard some kind of silly things like make a one ad for God. I, what I got out of all of it is, you know, just have your own God. And, and that's what I did. I worked at it. And um, it really, really helped me. Um, my, I did find my first sponsor, and I'll say that we were pretty much friends. That was not a big help, um, but um, we used the OA workbook, and um, that wasn't a very good source either. It has things that are more like um, therapy in there. At least that's how I looked at it back then when we, my sponsor and I went through it, um, and that really didn't help me very much, but it, it helped enough, and I had a willingness. I would do whatever my sponsor said. Um, so I did become abstinent in July of 94, um, working this workbook uh, with her. Um, I wrote down my food and um, gave it to her. I mean, didn't have email back then. Um, and... Um, we did things like when we got to the inventory, I burned it in her fireplace at a, a meeting at her home, and there's a small group of us there. We said the seven-step prayer as it burned, um, and I had a real sense that those defects were lifted from me from it, but but that's not that's not what the big book says. And the big book is way more powerful. I think it's way clearer. For me, it has been. Uh, so I went about making my amends, and um, that was an interesting time. I, I did really have the willingness to do it. Again, would have done whatever. Um, I'm gonna read on page 40, uh, 82 and 83, and this is what 
this period of time in my life was like. It says, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. That was how I was in my home. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We think a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. And then on page 83, this is really where I was at this point. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. Um, and it says about sitting down with the family. So it was almost um, time when it got worse before it got better because my husband and my sons were honest with me and let me know that just saying sorry wasn't enough. Um, so anyway, uh, then using that workbook, I did step 10. And it, what I did is I just called my sponsor with every 10 step I had. And we talked and talked and talked about it. So the big book does it very differently, very powerful and quickly, um, which is what I do today. Now, my step 11 was good. I, I did really cherish the morning prayer and meditation time um, at the time, and it helped me quite a bit. Um, and step 12, I used that workbook uh, for eight years. I used that workbook to help others, and I really never found that anybody recovered. I, I really didn't get to step four in that workbook with anyone except once, I remember. Um, then I'm going to fast forward a bit um, to 2001. The reason that's really important is because that's when I discovered Joe and Charlie. I discovered them at a, I heard about them at an AA, women's AA meeting. And I, I listened to them, and I actually got a book from Joe Matthew that really helped me understand the big book. Finally, I got to understand the big book, um, and it really helped me. It, it just helped me so much. Uh, it was so much more powerful. And um, through circumstances, I found a, a new OA home group that was quite a distance for me to drive. And that was in April 2002. So there have been quite a few years here. This is like eight years. And at, at this um, OA um, home group of mine, there were women there that had been recovered 20 years. They had used the big book. When I walked into that meeting, I felt, again, like I was at home. Um, uh, the meetings I had gone to around my area were very weak. Uh, there really weren't people that were recovered. Um, so going there was a very different world. And there were a lot of people that said they were available to sponsor. Um, they said their abstinent date. This is all very new and powerful to me. Um, and, and they totally accepted me as one of them. Um, I was so grateful. It, it made the long-distance drive there so worth it. I got to know those women, went to lunch with them. Um, they became my friends. I called them. And I was a big book sponsor, too. I, went, I got a sponsor from there. I worked the steps through the big book. Um, 
And you know what? The beauty of it was people started recovering. And it was just like on page 89 in Working With Others. Um, it starts out, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Um, so nothing works as well. Um, to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. Well, I didn't miss it. I, I watched these women um, come in just beaten up with this disease of compulsive eating just like I had been and watch them find a power greater than themselves that would solve their problem. Watch them pass that message on and recover. And um, it was just wonderful. Um, then <clears throat> I we had to move um, and I went to a, a strange land, it seemed. Uh, where, again, they didn't have this big book recovery. So what do you do? Uh, the big book um, tells you that you can create the fellowship you crave. Uh, so I started a big book. Uh, we started a big, there's a small group of us that we started a big book study. And, again, watching people recover, um, it was the best way to feel like I belonged someplace uh, new. and. So that, that meeting was wonderful. Then we moved again. And I um, discovered sponsoring with a vision for you. And it, it has been such a delight to work with people from this phone meeting. Um, I find that they're very willing to do the steps. They just want guidance. And um, it, it's just a way to be really useful and the years of suffering from when I was 16, when I was 17, when I was newly married, pregnancy, I can use all of that experience to help others. And it wasn't just needless suffering. It, um, it, it helps other people to recover. Uh, many of the um, hard experiences I've had in my life, I can use that to help others, and I'm so very grateful for that. And being on this big book path has really helped me to enlarge my spiritual life, to do more thorough 10 steps, um, and to know that to just follow what the big book says. You don't have to add any good ideas. I uh, don't have to really add anything to it, just the big book directions. And that's really what I try to do today. Um, it's just to, if it's not in that book, then why the heck am I doing it? Um, that sort of thing. And um, I guess I'll, and let me try to find this real quick on page 63. It's in step three. Um, here, let's see, where am I going to start with it? More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, 
as we became conscious of his presence. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. So for me, this was just exactly what I, I needed. I didn't need a diet or the right food plan. I needed to be reborn. I needed so much more. And that's what I get free. Uh, and as long as I continue to give it away and enlarge my spiritual life. So with that, I think I'm going to end. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lindy. What a beautiful exclamation to the conclusion of your story here today. You shared so much. and What a beautiful retelling. Thank you so much of how it is to go to any length. Thank you. And at the conclusion of the meeting, we would like to ask for your contact information, but we'll get to that a little bit later if we might, please. But for now, the lines are going to be open for questions regarding your presentation. Are you ready for that? I sure am. Excellent. Thank you so much. So for those of you that do have a question this morning, press star 1. This will unmute the line so that you can be heard. And then right after you ask your question, if you press star 1 again, then this will remute you to have a quiet line for the answering. Who has a question this morning for Lynn? Madam. Hi, Matt. Anybody else? Sam. Yeah, this is Deborah E. Hi, Deborah E. I got you, too, and I think I heard another person. Janice? Janice M. Oh, hi, Janice. Good morning. Good morning to you. That sounds like a good start. We'll have Matt M. and then Deborah and then Janice. Go ahead with your question, Matt. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Lynn. This is Matt M. from New Jersey. Did you, have you used any other literature besides the big book once you got recovered with the big book besides the Borway workbook? Okay, so you're asking if I used any other books other than the big book? Yes. Um, I pretty much used the big book. Um, there is a book by Joe McHugh that if you want to call me, we can talk about that book. It's not approved literature. Um, and I used the AA 12 and 12. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for your question. Deborah E., your question, please. Yes. Um, I was curious what your what your daily practice is now, um, now that you've been, you know, you're recovered for a while and you're maintaining this and you're working with others, but what is your daily practice? Like when you get up in the morning and, and your outreach calls, you know, what do those look like today? Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I totally forgot to mention that. Um, I have to say I'm a bit uh, nervous here. <laughs> um, I have a wonderful daily practice that just really works for me. It has for a lot of years. Um, and, and what I consider it is my step 11. Um, I get up in the morning and I get myself a cup of hot tea and I sit in a a certain chair, and I pray. I, this prayer, it's what I consider my foundation prayer of the day where I, I'm not giving God directions. That, that is really not necessary. But what I, basically the result of this prayer is 
I am turning everything in my day and my life, all of my concerns over to God. And this is the way that I do it. And I also have a part of my prayer where I um, send blessings to everyone that has crossed my path the day before. So, you know, when I see people in a store, I try to look at their name tags. So I send them a blessing. Um, it's just a practice that higher power has led me to. Um, and then in this foundational prayer, I have a part of it where I actually do surrender what is in my day. And I'm retired. Um, just a minute, my timer is going to go off here. Okay, that's funny. Um, so I have a section where I um, actually surrender. And I'm retired, so a, thing, a challenge for me is driving in traffic in this busy city that I live in. Um, I, I don't like my attitude in traffic at times. So I will really pray about that. Um, you know, I surrender God to drive to this place. Um, please be with me. Um, and I break down my day. Anybody that is a challenge for me, I will put them in that section of surrender. So it's a structured prayer. Um, it has developed over years. Uh, when I've had anxieties about different family members, I certainly surrender them. Uh, this prayer takes a good 20 minutes. Um, it, it is such a lovely connection with God where I am surrendering my concerns to God. And they are really relieved when I do that. And I, I'm not saying I don't pray through the day, but this is my foundational prayer. And then after that, I, I sit in silence for about 20 minutes. That varies, but it's very consistent. And um, I, I am just in the, sensing the presence of God in that time. That has been one of the, in the beginning of my recovery, that was very challenging for me to do because I was a very nervous person and wanted to get up and get going. But this connects me with God. And from there, then I eat uh, a breakfast, um, a wonderful, beautiful, abstinent breakfast, and I pray uh, a prayer of gratitude for it. Um, and that's what I do with my morning. And I, I don't go real fast in my day. That just gets me into defects. I, I go slower. Um, and I really try to have an attitude of being of service. I am retired, so I'm able to help others. My husband isn't retired, so I do really try to see how can I help him today. Um, I make, I listen to a vision for you. I make outreach calls. Um, usually about three a day, and um, then I have sponsee calls. And I am just finished um, taking three sponsees through the 12 steps, and uh, we made it through step 12, all of them. It's just delightful. I'm hoping to get some new sponsees. Um, and at the end of the day, this is just what I do with step 11. I, I set in silence, and I go over the questions. Was I resentful, fearful, dishonest, selfish? Uh, what could I have done better? And I pray for God to show me how I could do this better tomorrow. And um, 
in the morning, you know, on awakening when I'm doing my foundational prayer, I ask for guidance and direction. Show me how to do this better today. Um, so, you know, if something um, crosses my path, which happens regularly, but it doesn't happen daily, I will call a person in my 10-step network and say, hey, do you have time for a 10-step? And then we do just what the big book says. I do it quickly. I don't do a lot of writing. I don't do a four-step inventory on it. I do 10-step like it says in the big book. Where have I been selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful? I talk to someone immediately. I make amends if I need to. And then I turn my thoughts to someone I could help. And that's how I do it. Um, and it makes for a really good life. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Deborah E. and, and Lynn for your response to that. Janice M., your question, please. Well, <clears throat> good morning to you, uh, Melanie, and good morning, Lindy. This is Janice M., and uh, boy, did I enjoy your transformation, going to the right direction, going to any lens in the right direction. I always went the other way. This is my question. I thought I heard you, now this is not a judgment, I thought I heard you say that you tear up your fourth step and I'm just wondering, is that how you guide your sponsees? And how do they do their eighth and ninth step? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Janice. Um, you know, when you talk so long, I think um, sometimes things can get really confusing. I meant when I burned my inventory, I burned my fourth step. That was when I was doing it the OA workbook way. Okay. When I, in 2001, when I discovered the big book, I followed the directions in the big book. I follow the directions today in the big book the best I can. I try to be more pure to that, mm -hmm. um, do the four columns. That's how I take sponsees through. And when I started doing it that method, people started recovering. Yeah. Um, so the, the amends, they've got their amends list when they do their inventory. And then they just, um, we discuss how they're going to do their their actual amend, uh, ninth step, their ninth step amends, and then they do them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lindy. It is my listening skills. Oh, <laughs> no. I think I was confusing. <laughs> oh, no. It's the receiver. Thank you much. And I pass. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Janice, for your question. We're open now for others who would have a question for Lindy regarding her presentation. Barbara E. Hey, Barbara E. Hang on just a second. Let's see if there's anyone else out there. Any other questions this morning for Lynn? Hi, Nora D. Hi, Nora D. Wonderful. Anyone else? We'll take those two questions and then we'll open it up again to see if anyone has has decided to ask. Barbara E. and then Nora D. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, everyone. Lindsay, thank you so much for your beautiful share and your, your evolution through the years. My question for you is based on what you had said, I hope I heard you correctly, that your family, your nuclear family said, saying, I'm sorry isn't enough and you needed to do daily amends, you, not daily amends, you needed to live in it, taking care of 
being kind, gentle, tolerant with your nuclear family. I, too, am at that point where I pray, I say the set-aside prayer every single day to be kinder and gentler and more tolerant with the family that I live with 24-7. How and, yes, just how did you come to a better place in dealing with that? Uh, And I pass. Uh, What a wonderful question. Um, I remember back to those early years of my making those amends and my new behavior. And it was very challenging. Um, And, you know, I needed a power source. I couldn't do it. My way was always, get out of my way, let me do it my way, and you guys get in line here. That was my method. Um, But I needed a new power source. So I would just pray, God, show me how to do this. Um, I would talk to people in a way, you know, I, I... this was back before I had the big book, um, which gives you, a big book gives you a way better focus. Where am I being selfish? You know, focus on that, not what they're doing. Um, you know, where am I being dishonest? I'm making up stories about these family members. Um, that's, that's the problem. Um, where am I resentful? I just don't like what they're doing. And uh, where am I fearful? I used to be fearful that it's just never going to change. Um, so I would just, you know, back in those early days, I would just try to do my best, and I would go to a whole lot of OA meetings, that's for sure. And um, gradually it got better. Gradually they saw the change in me. Um, it, it's, not, it's not ever perfect. And it, the thing is it just didn't matter to me. I felt better inside myself. I was a happier person. Um, And then I was able to actually help sponsees. Um, I would help see them improve with their family. And and that was very powerful right there. I I guess today, you know, I've been married uh, 39 years. Sometimes my husband isn't real keen, like he went golfing this morning on Father's Day, and here I've got this talk to do. Um, he, did, he just didn't, he didn't even want to kiss me goodbye um, because he didn't want to disturb me kind of thing. Sometimes he just doesn't understand this, and that's okay. Um, I got to be loving to him and say, well, I support you when you're golfing, and I, I hope you have a great time. And when he comes back, I'll be able to give him some some time, you know. So it just doesn't really matter so much what he thinks of me, um, what my sons think of me. I, I just really have to be loving to them and giving to them the best I can. And um, higher power gives me the power to do that. So working steps 10, 11, and 12 make all the difference. It enlarges my spiritual life, um, my, um, yeah, spiritual fitness. And so things don't matter like they did in the beginning. I hope that answers it. Thank you, Barbara E. Nora D., your question, please, for Lynn. Uh, thank you very much for your, um, for your share. It, what I felt about the whole thing was a sense of peace. And that's that's really uh, 
I guess that's recovery. Um, what my question is is about food plans. Different meetings, OA meetings I go to, they say, you know, your sponsor has to tell you about your food plan. Uh, who, you know, if I knew what I was doing, I would, um, I'd have the right food plan. And obviously I don't because, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater, I'm an addict, and addicts can't tell themselves what to do. <clears throat> so I really get confused about food plans. And does this, does a sponsor help you with that or guide you or actually give you the food plan? So I pass. Thank you for considering that question. Sure. Well, I've also heard a lot of things in OA. <laughs> Excuse me. I came to just regular OA. I've never belonged to a fraction of OA where they had food plans. I have at certain meetings in a way. I guess it was at a workshop. I saw like a gray sheet laying out there and stuff. But when I came to OA in 1994, um, it was a thing. There was a movement of putting abstinence, taking abstinence out of the tools and putting food plant in the tools. Very confusing. Um, but anyway, my sponsor really, my very first sponsor really never gave me a food plan. She just really kind of haphazardly sponsored me. We just kind of stumbled into working on the uh, OA workbook. Um, she just kind of mentioned, well, if you want to lose weight, you want to be abstinent, you write down your food and give it to me, and you that'll work. And I thought, well, why wouldn't I want to do that? <laughs> why don't you say do it? Um, so she didn't give me a lot of direction with that. And I never, you know, at that time in my area, they really didn't uh, stress food plan. They, she gave me the food plan, I guess, of three meals a day, nothing in between, no binge food. And that's pretty open. Um, and it was confusing to me. But I've never had anybody give me a food plan. Um, I'm thinking that's a blessing because my higher power really, I knew I couldn't diet. So I, I just really prayed, okay, God, what do I eat today? And my sponsor did tell me to pray that the food would be enough for me and to eat slowly. And then when, it's, when you're done, tell God thank you. So what happened from that is I became very focused on my higher power. And, and food was, a bit, was very spiritual. And God gave me the desire um, as I work the steps to eat healthier and to eat the right amounts of foods. And that has evolved over the years so that I eat a very healthy um, food plan. And I've been a wonderful, um, normal weight for over 20 years. That seems quite the miracle. Now that's my journey. That's what's really worked for me. And I, I have had sponsees that have said, what food plan should I have? And I tell them, you can go to a professional. Um, and I say, well, I want your food plan. Maybe just a couple times over 20 years, I've told them what I eat, and they just think, huh? <laughs> and it doesn't seem like it has helped anyone, is what I'm trying to say. So I don't 
know the answer to your question. It worked to me to turn to God, um, not to play any games with binge foods. I don't believe in yellow light foods. Why are they in the yellow light category? Um, I, I was done messing around with food when I came to OA. I had a really gift of desperation. And so I focused on the steps. The steps. Put that food down. The steps are what is the, leads me to a power source that can solve my problem. And that'll pass. Thank you, Nora D, for the question and Lynn for your response. Anyone else with a question this morning? Star one to unmute. Liz T in Minnesota. Hi, Liz T. Go ahead with your question. Hi, thank you so much for your talk this morning. I really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for your service. I just have a question. When you're talking with a newcomer or someone trying to establish their, um, determine their what their abstinence is, um, and then they decide to put those substances down. Aside from the tools, are there any other um, resources or suggestions you give them for when they're going through that discomfort of early abstinence, crawling the walls, that kind of thing? Obviously, getting into the steps quickly, but any any other pointers that have been helpful over the years? Thank you. Ah, great question. Thank you, Liz. Um, Here's what I do. I, I'll talk to a, a new person or, you know, they might not be new to OA, but say a person um, who wants to become abstinent and work the steps. And I'll say, um, <coughs> excuse me, I'll, I'll assign to them two podcasts that are special edition podcasts. Um, and, and, Actually, there's probably three of them I assign that they can, and they take a while to listen to, you know, their, their good hour talk and then the questions. Um, one of the first ones I, I haven't listened to is what is a real compulsive overeater? You know, there's so many great questions in there for a person to really look at and decide, am I or am I not? Um, you know, they could just be a hard eater and not even be a compulsive overeater. Um, and, and I actually tell them, you know, write down your food plan for the day and send it to me. Um, but listen to that podcast. Uh, listen to the podcast, Entire Abstinence. Um, again, that's a very long podcast. Um, it gives them a lot of clarity about food ingredients uh, that they may have problems with. Uh, then, then we just start with the doctor's opinion. And there's podcasts on that they can listen to. They can read the doctor's opinion. We can go through the doctor's opinion. So there, that's been a couple days. Um, and then we get right into um, Bill's story. And that's what I do. Uh, I also encourage them to listen. And there's so many meetings they can uh, listen to um, and be a part of. They can um, take a lot of action. Uh, they can listen to these podcasts and constantly be having some voice in their head talking recovery. Um, I, I did that back in 94 with uh, cassette tapes um, of people that had recovered. Uh, it was tremendously helpful. 
went to as many face-to-face meetings as I could. Uh, it's just hard in the beginning. Um, but you have to have had enough pain from the food that you're willing to trust this process enough to put the food down and do it. you got to be done. And it's not an easy place to be, but it's a beautiful gift to be with that place. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Liz T., for your question this morning. Are there any other questions out there this morning? As we always like to say, if it's on your mind, it's on the mind of somebody else. Michelle? Hi, Melinda. Michelle. Michelle and Melinda. Anybody else? Gina R. Gina R. Anyone else? We don't want to miss anybody. Because this will be our last invitation for questions this morning. Okay, sounds good. We'll go with Michelle L. and Melinda C. and Gina R. Michelle, want to go ahead with your question this morning? Sure. Thank you so much, Melanie. Lindy, thank you for that presentation. I really enjoyed hearing about your transformation. Um, I'm just wondering, and you may have said this, but I might not have heard it. Are you at this point? Do you ever have food thoughts? And if so, um, how do you? What do you do? Um, that that question makes me smile because it's such a a wonderful thing to realize that I don't have food thoughts. Um, not like I used to. You know, when you're talking being in the disease of, oh, I I want something, I want something that, I don't know, I used to have all kinds of crazy food thoughts before working the steps. Um, now, I, here, here's how I plan my, my food. Um, <clears throat> I have the same breakfast every day. Um, I have for, I'm trying to figure out how long, and it's probably since the early 2000s, the same breakfast. It's just the ideal breakfast, and and so why change it? Um, My lunch, you know, I have a big, beautiful salad every day. The specific ingredients change, but it's pretty consistent. It's beautiful. Um, My snacks, you know, there's just like a range of different things I have for a snack. So um, that's pretty consistent. Dinner is what changes. So when I had that foundational prayer in the morning I was talking about and I surrender everything, I surrender my food. But what I do when, I, when I'm done praying and studying and meditation, I get a real sense of what I should have for dinner. Um, so I feel like God guides me on my choices. Um, and, and sometimes I don't, I think, oh God, I just don't know what to have for dinner tonight. And then I just let it be. And God, God says, how about this? And, uh, it works beautifully. So I don't really have food thoughts. Um, I, I really don't like to cook, so I have to surrender, um, help me this afternoon to get those vegetables chopped. Um, I know that sounds silly and lazy, but it's just the way it is. And 
and God helps me. God says, put, put on that great podcast while you're chopping those vegetables. And so I do. And I, I eat very slowly. Um, it takes a long time for me to chew that salad. Uh, and and I really feel a connection with God through my food. So I, I can't really say I have food thoughts. Um, you know, I get food ideas of what to have for dinner, but I don't know if that's what you're talking about or not. So, Thank you, Michelle L. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, Melinda, it's your turn for your question, please. Press star one. Uh, yes, this is Melinda H. in Virginia. And what was your, what were your steps two and three like, please? Step two and three. Um, <clears throat> step two, well, when I was reading in We Agnostics on uh, <clears throat> page 46, <clears throat> you know, it talks about, um, let's see, well, it, you know, it's your own conception of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, and I guess what happened for me, well, at least I was open. Excuse me, I've got <laughs> some drainage here. <clears throat> God, for me, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I felt that power at my very first OA meeting. I didn't think about food during that meeting. That was a miracle, a real miracle. When, you know, at the end of a face-to-face meeting, we joined hands, we said something, I don't remember what it was, um, and I felt a power there greater than me. Um, That's where I started because I had confusion about this higher power but I was willing, I was open to believe in whatever. Um, It said to us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. So that's that's my mindset then. And as I worked these steps, you know, like when I did that inventory, God was revealed to me through that. There's a power source here helping me with this. When I met with my sponsor and did my sister, there was certainly a power greater than us there. Certainly, there's every time I came to, to a mealtime, there was a power greater than myself there. As I did my amends to my family, certainly there's a power greater than myself there restoring me to sanity. So that was my step two. Um, it was revealed as I worked the steps, this power. Um, but um, step three made a decision. Uh, I I used that OA workbook and that OA 12 and 12, and I was really confused. Uh, but when I I got to the big book and it said it's a decision to, and there's a wonderful, very clear part in the big book that explains that. Um, and it's page 64. Let's take a look here. Yeah. So our decision, well, that that's um, step four, but it says, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. 
though our decision, step three here, was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. So it's telling me it is a decision to go on with the rest of the steps. And that was so clear. I was so grateful for that instead of me trying to turn my will and life over to God. I did not know how to do that. And it was very confusing um, thinking of it like that. So I hope that that's somewhat clear. Thank you, Melinda H., for your question. And Gina R., you'll be our last question for today. Good morning, Melanie. Uh, This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in Colorado. And Lynn, I just want to thank you for your service today and in the past that has helped me. My question is, you talked about um, the therapy you did and just, and I'm not remembering if if I heard you say you just weren't nice or your family didn't think you were nice or you didn't think you were nice, Um, but you didn't know how not to do that. And it wasn't until you actually started working the steps. Where do you see, um, or if you do see kind of the, the mixing up of these, where to me, working the steps is like therapy. So can you make the distinction between what you were talking about being in the counseling therapy versus what you were doing in the steps and um, what that looks like? And I hope that makes sense. Thank you. Sure. That's a a very interesting question. Thank you, Gina. When I was in therapy, we did a lot of analyzing of personalities. Um, I have this... um, Oh, I forget the terminology. That was a long time ago. But these issues with my parents, um, um, and then I I do the same behavior to my family. I, I can't remember it right now. But uh, we I was in a group therapy where we will, would more or less analyze each other. Oh, this guy's doing this. He's being passive aggressive. This person's being aggressive. Um, we did a lot of looking at our behaviors. Um, so when I was in marriage counseling, my my therapist was really great. She did not sugarcoat anything. She pointed out the behaviors. So my husband would tell me something. He would confront me on something like, um, you don't listen to me when I say I want to buy a car or something like that kind of thing. I totally ignored him in the therapy session and just went on talking about what I wanted to do. And my therapist stopped us and she said, do you see how you just ignored what he said to you? And I said to her, it's because what he's saying is unimportant. It doesn't matter. It makes no sense. And he, my husband looked at, yeah, she just blows me off. Well, you know, when I got home, I thought about that, and I thought, wow, that's pretty ugly. (laughs) I don't even care what my husband's saying, you know. Um, But I didn't know how to stop the behavior. I didn't know how to 
say, oh, what you want to do isn't that important. Listen to him. I wasn't able to do it. When I did the steps and saw, okay, I can't change it, but God, I surrender this to you. God gave, gave me a different behavior to do, a different behavior to practice. So, you know, I looked at therapy as being knowledge, uh, of being able to analyze. So I think it did help me to do a 10 step, to do an inventory, to see where my behavior, I, I could point those out. Yeah, I'm being selfish here. Yeah, I'm being resentful here. I'm being really dishonest here. I could point those out real clearly. But I didn't have the rest of the solution of having a way to not feel like I'm the scum of the earth because I did these things. But I can surrender this to a power greater than myself and have a different way to do it. Um, God just kicked in. Um, Sometimes I would surrender by praying earnestly and crying to God. I feel so miserable. I just, some days I would hate being in my family, you know, uh, and just surrender that. Um, I didn't do that in therapy. I just pretty much analyzed I was in my head. And, and working the steps was more from my heart. But I think that, you know, the knowledge was not, it was important, sure. So that that's just my experience, Gina. Um I, I, you know, if people get stuck in the steps, I recommend they, they get some professional help. It was valuable for me. Thank you very much, Gina R. And Lynn, for your response to that. And that was our last question for today. And I would like to thank you for coming on the line today and sharing so much of your story and and taking this extra time to answer these questions. And thank you to everyone who posed these questions this morning. Again, we will ask Lynn for her contact information at the conclusion of this recording. But in the meantime, I would like to give you the share ID for today, the Sunday special edition, which is June 18th, 2017. And that share ID is 10,053-1003. We will now close the meeting in our usual way by reading page 164 of the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you do not have. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 